Precious Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. God, for the privilege of worship. Father, you commanded worship. And the word is a part of worship. Thank you for the privilege of looking into your infallible word. Father, now as we are gathered in your presence, Lord, we pray that you will give us a willing heart and an obedient mind in the name of Jesus. Father, for you know our frame, you know that we are weak of our own. And without the enablement of the Holy Ghost, we couldn't move forward. Hence, we ask the Holy Ghost to take total charge of us this afternoon. We pray that the Spirit of God would work in us, through us, to bring honor and glory to your own name. Father, not just in this arena today afternoon, but as the word that enters into us transforms us, we would go out and would display the kind of people that you want us to be. That the understanding of your word would transform our lives in such a way, Father, that we would reflect Jesus Christ and the world will no longer see us, but would see Christ in us. For this end, we look into you, the mirror of your word. And we pray that you will help us. God, we pray that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts would be pleasing in your sight, our God and our Redeemer. For in Jesus' name we have prayed. Amen. I invite you to turn your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 22. As we come to the final episode of the life of Abraham, final drama you could say, Genesis chapter 22, it's a very familiar story, however to, to give you a brief background of what has happened till now, not just in Abraham's life but in the the whole act of redemption that God has planned for us. The Bible says with that without faith, it is impossible to please God. And those who come to him must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Of all the stories in the Bible that, that show forth faith, you could find that there is a story in Exodus 14 where Moses is, is challenged with an impossible situation. Before him is the Red Sea and behind him is the Pharaoh's army. 
and everyone is scared. And the Lord tells Moses, go forward. Now that is a point of crisis that all of us would have to face. Go forward when it looks impossible. Faith demands of you and I to do the impossible, to receive of God that which is impossible, all by believing. If you had been there in Joshua chapter 6, if you had been there, the Bible says that and Jericho was tightly shut. Because of the children of Israel, Jericho was tightly shut. Every situation that is tightly shut is an opportunity for you to exercise your faith. Amen. And you shall receive his faith as well in Jesus' name. Every Jericho is an opportunity for you to exercise your faith. Now the plan God uses is different from your thought and my thought. For the Bible says that your ways are not my ways. And your thoughts are not my thoughts. So if you'd been there, there was a committee meeting that happened and, and Joshua came back to the, to the chieftains and said, you shall circle around Jericho once every day. And the people said, sure. And you shall do this six days. The people said, sure, sure. And they were waiting for the part when the, when the weapons would come out. They were waiting for the part when the bazookas and the grenades and the guns would come out. And he said, and on the seventh day, <clears throat> my boys, you shall go around seven times. And they were almost holding their breath. Okay, now is the part. And then they said, and then Joshua said, and then you shall shout. And the people said, that's it? He said, yeah, that's all. You mean shout? Yes, that's it. You shall go around a tightly shut wall seven times. A wall on which at least a moderate sized house was. Because we find that Rahab's house was on the wall. So either she was living in a matchbox or the house was really large. And then... You shall shout was the command given by God. And the people said, this is utterly ridiculous. But then the day came, they went around the third time, the fourth time, the fifth, sixth and the seventh. And then when Joshua lifted up his voice and he said, shout. Do you think everyone shouted? If you were there, would you have shouted? 
Would you have shouted? And when the wall fell, many, many wished they had shouted. Because then they had a story to tell their children and grandchildren. But those who did not shout were not partakers of that faith. And then you come to the story of Gideon. And in Gideon chapter 6, Judges chapter 6, we find Gideon, there was a huge army that had come. You see, the army was so large that they could not even number the camels. And then Gideon was called a mighty man of valor. He assembled an army and the army had 32,000 people. And Gideon said, it is impossible to win the war like this. And God said, yes, I agree. So Gideon thought, okay, God is now going to send some enforcements. So God said, step number one, all those who are chicken, go home. And Gideon turned around and 22,000 of them had... And then the army comes down to mere 300. And with 300, God did that which could not have been done with 32,000. Now we could go on and on. We could go on to the story of Goliath. We could go on to the other stories in the, in the Bible. But if you ask me, what is the Mount Everest of faith in the Bible? What is the pinnacle upon which God himself put a mark of his redemptive history in the Bible? It would be Genesis 22. It would be that portion of the Bible wherein you find that at the pinnacle there were three people. That at the end of Genesis 22, the test that happened, there were three over there. There was Abraham, and there was Isaac, and there was the Lord. Because that's the place where you find redemptive history is being shown unto the people. Now when I approach this chapter... The usual thought that comes is to see it from the perspective of Abraham. See it from the perspective of man. But the Bible has been given unto us so that we could see things from God's perspective. The Bible has been written unto us, has been given unto us so that we would understand God's redemptive purpose. You find that in the Garden of Eden. The Garden of Eden was not about Adam and Eve. It was about God declaring his plans. That's why Jesus was called the lamb that was slain before the foundations. You see, redemption was not God's quick fix to fix something that went wrong in his plan. The Bible has never been teaching us that, that God's idea of sacrificing his son was a second thought. It was from the beginning. And that is why Genesis 22 becomes important for us, because we shall look at this passage from the perspective of both Abraham, that is man, that is you and I, and from the perspective of God. So let's read Genesis chapter 22. 
Let's begin from 21. And let's read from verse 32 onwards. Thus they made a covenant at Beersheba. So Abimelech rose with Pichol, the commander of his army, and they returned to the land of the Philistines. Then Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there called on the name of the Lord, El Olam, the everlasting God. And Abraham stayed in the land of the Philistines many days. Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, Here I am. And he said, Take now your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son. And he split the wood for the burnt offering. And rose and went to the place of which God had told him. Then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, and the lad and I will go yonder. And worship, and we will come back to you. So Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son, and he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham his father and said, My father? And he said, Here I am, my son. Then he said, Look, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. So the two of them went together. Then they came to the place of which God had told him, and Abraham built an altar there, and placed the wood in order, and he bound Isaac his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham lifted his eyes and looked, and there behind him was a ram caught in a thicket by its horns. So Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up for a burnt offering instead of his son. And Abraham called the name of the place the Lord will provide. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord it shall be provided. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time out of heaven and said, By myself I have sown, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son, Blessing I will bless you, and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven, and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. 
In your seed, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, because you have obeyed my voice. So Abraham returned to his young men, and they arose and went together to Beersheba. And Abraham dwelt in Beersheba. Now it came to pass after these things that it was told Abraham, saying, Indeed, Milcah also has borne children to your brother Nahor, Huz his firstborn, Buz his brother, Kemuel, the father of Aram, Chesed, Hazo, Pildash, Jidlaf, and Bethuel. And Bethuel begot Rebekah. These eight Milcah bore to Nahor, Abraham's brother. His concubine, whose name was Riumah, also bore Teba, Gaham, Tahash, and Mekah. Would you turn with me to chapter 25? Verse 7. This is the sum of the years of Abraham's life which he lived. 175 years. Then Abraham breathed his last. And died at a good old age. An old man full of years. And was gathered to his people. Let's bow once again in prayer as we look at God's word. Father we thank you for this word. We thank you for giving us your word O Lord God. Father let the Holy Ghost make clear what you want to speak unto us. In Jesus name we pray. Amen. Now, let's look at this chapter from Abraham's perspective. From Abraham's perspective, the first thing is God brings his servant to the point of surrender to him. God brings his servant to the point of ultimate surrender even unto himself. Now, let me ask you, if you followed the life of Abraham right from chapter 11 and towards the end till chapter 22 you would find that there was the test of family, which Abraham passed. Then there was the test of famine, which Abraham failed. Then there was the test of fellowship, which Abraham passed. Then there was the test of fortune, which Abraham passed. Then there was the test of fatherhood, which Abraham failed. Then there was the test of the farewell, just in chapter 21. He had to send off Hagar and Ishmael, which Abraham passed. Through all these tests, what was God trying to prove? Let's look at it from Abraham's perspective. God was trying to rid Abraham of every one of his crutches. And the good thing about redemption... And the good thing about surrender is that it is not a big bang process. It is a progressive process. When you and I came to the Lord Jesus, if there was a list of things that was given unto us and we were said do's and don'ts, I'm sure many of us would not have accepted the Lord or continued with him so long. But the Lord is gracious. Progressively he reveals things. That we need to surrender unto him. Even now, is there things in your, there should be things in your life that you wish were surrendered unto God. Is that not so? Even now you would wish that there were things that God would take control of. But you just don't come to surrendering it unto God. 
And there were these things that Abraham surrendered. He surrendered his family. He surrendered his right of choosing the land. He surrendered the right of taking from the king of Sodom. He surrendered all this. And now comes the point when this child that was given unto him becomes this focal point of his own life. Is there something that has become the focal point of your life? That has dethroned God. That has dethroned the Lord God Almighty. It could even be a worry. It need not be an object. It could even be a thought. Is there anything that has dethroned the Lord? In in fact, God wanted to find out if, if Isaac had enthroned the heart of Abraham. Therefore he said, now, rise up. Give unto me your son. So, the first thing we understand is that it is a progressive surrender. What takes a lifetime to live cannot be surrendered in a day. Let me repeat that. You live your life one day at a time and it's known as a lifetime. You cannot surrender your lifetime in a day. You surrender it one day at a time. Seven years before Jim Elliot was killed in Ecuador, he wrote in his journal, and I read, One does not surrender a life in an instant. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. That which is lifelong can only be surrendered in a lifetime. God wanted to remove one by one. Bring Abraham to a point of total surrender. Has he brought you to a point of total surrender? Now what are the benefits? We would see, come towards the end and we would see the benefits. I don't want to get ahead of myself. But just let's understand what are the benefits of, of this life of surrender. Number one, if you, are seren- if, you, if you submit yourself fully unto God, then God is more than enough for you. Now that would be one benefit. We would come to it later on. But God wanted to make sure that Abraham was fully surrendered. God was gradually stripping Abraham of all his crutches. He was bringing Abraham to a point that there would be none but God alone in Abraham's life. We read in 22.1, it came about after these things. After what things? Can you see Abraham relaxing in his easy chair and he's saying that finally, the final test is over. He loved Ishmael. Ishmael was his son. But then sending forth, in chapter 21 we read that sending forth the, the, the wife, the concubine and the, and the son was heartbreaking. After this, Abraham would have relaxed. And he would have seen his boy grow up. He would, have, he would have touched the hands and the legs of this little boy who is growing up. He would have, in his old age, he would have played catch and cook with this little boy. The, the cry of Isaac in the tent would have woken up Abraham in the middle of the night. Abraham's heart was full of joy every time the child laughed. His name itself meant laughter. Can you see Abraham's life now 
revolving around this one boy. And God says after these things. God's testings. They come at appropriate times. They come at times. When it is convenient unto God. And every one of his tests is designed to make us stronger. None of his tests are designed to pull us down. That's why the King James says it is, and God tempted. Well, that's a very harsh word. God never tempts. We read that in the book of James. God never tempts. He tests. The temptation comes from the devil to push you down. But the test comes from the Lord to strengthen you. And unless you are tested, you are not proved. And God cannot use something that is not proved. Therefore, surrendering yourself, submitting to the ways of the Lord, is a way of of acknowledging that God is in control. God began the process of pulling out every one of his crutches. The ultimate surrender is seen in his obedience. God calls Abraham to ultimate surrender. Now how did Abraham respond to that? It's seen in unflinching obedience. Did you notice verse 2 says now, rising up early in the morning. I would have been tempted to pull the blankets over my own eyes. I would have been tempted to tell the Lord, Lord, did you notice God never said when to sacrifice? He could have said, After a week. Maybe after a month. Maybe after Isaac has a bride and has a child. Because in Genesis 21, verse 12, God says it is through Isaac that your seeds will be blessed. Therefore, putting the two and two together, Abraham in his own mind, he would have thought that let let this boy grow up, get married, have a child, then I'll sacrifice him. The child can grow up. Voila. God, you're in control. But the next day, Rising up before dawn. Is your obedience so sharp? And this is not the first time. In Genesis 17, when God says, now you shall circumcise. What did he do? Immediately he called every man in his household and he circumcised. Immediately. In Genesis 21 he said, send off Hagar and Ishmael. Immediately he sent. This is immediate obedience. Prompt obedience. Four qualities about Abraham's obedience. It was prompt. He never left it to the next moment. It was protracted. They went three days journey. Did you see that in the passage? Three days journey. Plenty of time to take a U-turn. Plenty of time to tell the Lord, Lord, there is not enough firewood, Lord. Let me go back and get some more. Plenty of time to think. In fact, Abraham would have thought and thought. Do you know what Abraham would have thought? Abraham would have thought that there is no inconsistency in this God. Because if in the previous revelation God has said it is going to be through Isaac, Then right now, while he is walking to Mount Moriah, his thought would not be, God, why? God, why Isaac? God, why me? His thought would have been, God, how? 
That's the difference between your thinking and mine. It's a life totally surrendered unto God. His thought was not why. His thought was how are you going to do this Lord? Because you are going to raise up seeds through Isaac. And if Isaac is dead, then either you will prevent me from killing him or you will raise him from the dead. And this is why, hear me now carefully, this is why Jesus said, Abraham saw my day and was glad. Because in his mind, Abraham knew resurrection was possible with my God. Abraham saw my day and was glad. Why is that? There is no inconsistency in God. If there is a passage of scripture which you feel is inconsistent, then you need to read more carefully because God would have revealed it somewhere. So the first thing we find is that it is prompt obedience. Second is it's protracted obedience. It was prolonged obedience. How many years? 25 years after coming into the land of Canaan did Abraham have Isaac. But when did he receive the promise? He was faithful throughout. His obedience grew day after day. Let me ask you, from the moment that you got born again, till now, if you had taken an inventory, every company takes an inventory, every company has its own accounts audited. If there was a heavenly audit in our own spiritual ledgers, would he find that there is an increase in obedience or is there a stagnation? Because there was a stagnation that happened to the children of Israel also. Because around the walls of Jericho, the people would have thought that this is impossible. Then one person would have said that, do you remember what our fathers used to tell us what happened at the Red Sea? then the stagnated mind could have said, that happened a long time ago. That was one generation ago. That generation has passed away. God has stopped doing miracles. Even now, we refuse to obey day by day because there is no new revelation. We don't need a new revelation. The Bible is more than enough. It was willful and not begrudging. He, obe he obeyed willfully, not begrudgingly. Now, there is a difference. You can do something for the Lord begrudgingly. You could do a service for someone gnashing your teeth. Wishing why. But Abraham obeyed because he loved to do it. It was not begrudging. He willfully obeyed. Does this give you a picture of Jesus over here? He willfully obeyed. In John chapter 10, he was talking about him, him being the great shepherd. He said, I lay my life down of mine own accord. No one takes it from me. No one takes it from me. Jesus, of his own accord... Paul writing this, echoing the same thought in Philippians chapter 2. Paul says that, and Jesus did not consider it robbery to be, e to be equivalent with God, a thing to be grasped. But he gave himself willingly to be a servant. And whose followers are we? Are we the followers of the same Lord Jesus, whose second name is Christ? 
Because if you go to South, South America, there are many Jesuses. That's a common name in Spanish. If the Jesus you are following is the true Lord, then make sure his second name is Christ. And his residence is of Nazareth. His faith was contagious. Do you see that in, in Isaac? Now, we must have heard this story in our, in our Sunday schools. That Isaac was a wee little boy and, and, and Abraham had to drag him up Mount Moriah. It did not happen that way. Because you find that the wood was placed on Isaac. He should have been at least a sturdy youth. But tell me something. How did Isaac get onto the altar? Did Abraham have to thump him around? Get into a spar on top of Mount Moriah? Give him a solid left upper hook so that he is unconscious? Or put his, ha- put his knee over the chest of Isaac, tie his hands together, put him on the altar? Or did Isaac get onto the altar of his own? The Bible says that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's the father giving the son. The Bible also says, of mine own accord I lay down my life. Could you put these two together? The father gave the son and the son of his own accord. Hebrews chapter 10 says that a body you have prepared for me. This is a quote in Psalm 40. A body you have prepared for me. Sacrifices. And offerings you have not required. It was not just the father. The faith of the the father was contagious. Let me ask you men. Are you giving your faith to your children? Do your children see your faith in you? Sisters, do your children see your faith in you? Do they see a man or a woman on their knees sorting out things at the threshold of heaven? Or do they see a man and a woman running after the resources of this world? You could get help. Last night we we heard that our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. His faith was contagious. His faith was caught on by Isaac. And you, you young people, when, when your parents show you the pathway of faith, don't begrudge them. Don't begrudge them. Because one day, you will rise up to thank them. I read a story about a man who was imprisoned for life. At a very young age, and at the courtroom, he said, The judge I forgive, for he should give out judgment according to the law. The police I forgive, for they have done their duty. And the jury I forgive, for they had to act in accordance with the law. But there are two people in this room I shall not forgive. My father and my mother. Because they refused to show me God. It's a true life story of a person who went to prison at a very young age. 
Are we showing faith unto our own children? Do our children see the faith in us? Abraham's faith was contagious. Abraham saw his obedience as an act of worship. Read verse 5 with me, please. Chapter 22 and verse 5. And Abraham said to his young men, Stay here with the donkey, the lad, and I will go yonder, and we will worship. Abraham saw his obedience as an act of worship. And Abraham's obedience was based on a knowledge of God. Abraham was no fool. The more and more I read the passage of Abraham, I come to understand that he was less of a hero, more of an obedient servant. We make him out to be a hero, and a hero he may be. But if you go and interview Abraham once you get to see him in heaven, he would say, no, I was just obeying my God. There are no heroes in the Bible. There's only one hero. And we are all the heroine, if you so like it. He's the one who takes the bride in the end. Amen? We've seen all those movies where the hero comes and takes the bride in the end. And they lived happily ever after. So shall be your case and mine in Jesus' name. His obedience was based on a knowledge of God. His, he, he hammered out his experience on the anvil of his theology. He hammered out his experience on the anvil of his theology. Many, many of us do it the other way around. We hammer out our theology at the anvil of our experience. We begin to understand God based on our experience. Abraham was different. He began to understand his experience on the basis of his understanding of God. And that is why when the young lad asked, where is the lamb? He said, God will provide. Now, where did he get this idea that God will provide? He got this idea that God would provide from his experience that God had never failed. Because a man who is past the year of, of having children, a woman who is past the year of childbearing, if they are to bring forth a child, then this God that I am dealing with is no liar. He was hammering out his experience on the anvil of his theology. Abraham knew that God cannot lie. Look at his command to his servants. He said, in verse 5, the, the place we read, he said that the lad and I will go up yonder and we will worship and we will come back to you. I don't want to make a theology of this, but he had a faith that could not be matched. Because he was, he was confident of the God that he was serving. At the end of every test that Abraham received, he received God's approval. It's not different in this portion as well. 
At the end of every test, he received God's approval. You see, faith and obedience go together. You cannot separate the one from the other. I commend to you John chapter 14 and John chapter 15. At your earliest convenience, please read that. One of those verses over there, it says, If you love me, keep my commandments. That means that your faith, we heard last week about faith, which grows. Faith that is not locked away. Our faith and our obedience go hand in hand. On the corollary, let me tell you, your disobedience is unbelief. And the Bible says, unbelief is sin. So every time we refuse to obey, we refuse to get cleansed and remain prepared. Because we, we, contain, we continue in sin. Now what were the other Benefits that Abraham received. Number one, he got a new approval from God. What was the new approval? Let's read verse 12 together. Abraham received a new approval from God. He said, I know that you fear God and since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. For now I know that you fear God. Abraham got a new approval from the Lord. He got a new son back. Now how do I know this? Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 11. And we read from verse 17 onwards. By faith, Abraham when he was tested, offered up Isaac. And he who had received the promise... Offered up his only begotten son. Of whom it was said. In Isaac your seed shall be called. Verse 19. Concluding that God was able to raise him up. Even from the dead. From which he also received him. In a figurative sense. In Abraham's own mind. The moment God said. Offer Isaac. Isaac was already dead. That is why verse 19 says that he received back. You see that part? 19b says he received him in a figurative sense back from the dead. What was the thing that Abraham received? He received a new approval. He received his son back. A new son. Paul echoing the same thought said in in Romans chapter 12. He said that offer your bodies as a living sacrifice. This is the sense in which we offer our bodies as a living sacrifice unto God. Holy, acceptable unto God to do his own will. This is what Abraham did. What else he received? He received a new assurance. Verse 16 to 18. Genesis 22, 16 to 18. He received a new assurance. The promise was reiterated unto him. By myself I have sworn, says the Lord, because you have done this thing and have not withheld your son, your only son. Blessing I will bless you and multiplying I will multiply your descendants as the stars of heaven and as the sand which is on the seashore. And your descendants shall possess the gate of their enemies. Now that part of the promise was not stated before. This is the first time that that part of the promise is being given. 
that your enemies, there was an addendum because of the new obedience. These are the blessings of total surrender. We find there's a new approval. A new son comes back. There's new assurance. And he learned a new name, Jehovah Jireh. God reveals himself in his own names. And Abraham has been the recipient of so many names. He begins to call the name of the Lord, the Lord, the Lord God Almighty, Jehovah El Shaddai. He begins to call the name of the Lord Jehovah Olam, El Olam, the everlasting God. And here is a new name, Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will see to it. Some of the translation says the Lord will provide. It actually means the Lord will see to it. The Lord will see to it that Abraham's need is met. Hudson Taylor has got two verses, it seems, that he has got on his table. The founder of the China Inland Missions, Hudson Taylor had two names of God on his table. One was Ebenezer. One was was Jehovah Jireh. You put them together. Ebenezer means the Lord has helped hitherto. And Jehovah Jireh means the Lord will see to it in the future also. Isn't that wonderful? Isn't that wonderful when it comes from such a man who gave his life for missions? Ebenezer and Jehovah Jireh. Have we trusted God as Jehovah Jireh? I'm not just talking about our material needs. Of course God will provide. Romans 8.32 says that if he did not withhold his only begotten son, how will he not with him give us all things? I'm not talking about that. But have you trusted God with your day-to-day spiritual walk? With your challenges? Have you given it to him? Are you telling the Lord, Lord, you are my Ebenezer. You've been, you've been my strength hitherto. In Exodus chapter 17, we find that Joshua was fighting the Amalekites. And then Moses had to lift up his hand. And every time his hand was up, Joshua was prevailing. And every time his hand was down, the Amalekites were prevailing. Therefore, there were these two helpers who went up the mount along with Moses and left, lifted up his hands. And they put a rock under him. That rock is Jesus. Are you resting on the rock? Are you resting on the completed work of Jesus Christ? Or are you still depending on yourself till the end? We'll come to God's perspective in the story. But right now let's just see Abraham's perspective. Abraham's perspective was one. He gave himself willingly, obediently unto the Lord. Gave himself as a complete surrendered person and I'm not asking you to do it in one shot are there things that the Holy Spirit is right now identifying in your life and saying my son my daughter these are things that I've seen that you have not surrendered unto me would you be willing to give it to me now take thou thine son thine only son Isaac whom thou lovest you see God made it very clear what he wanted from Abraham. Right now when the Spirit of God is speaking to your hearts, would you, would you go to God in that, in that attitude and tell the Lord, Father, in the name of Jesus, if there is something in my heart, if there be something in my heart that has taken the place of your Son, 
that has taken the place that refuses that prevents me from seeing Jesus lifted up in my life god i want to give that to you for i know that when you take it away from me you would refill me with something that is infinitely better than what you are taking away for the hands of the lord are not withered that it cannot extend and save would you go to god the lord wants you to t- talk to him this moment your ultimate surrender be assured my brethren would meet with god's rich provisions that is for sure at the end of every test is god's provision at the end of every test is god's provision job said that at the end i shall come out like gold ultimate surrender is accompanied by unflinching obedience and god brings you to the point of this surrender because brethren he wants the whole of you not just a part i'll bring you more than a song for a song in itself will not convey don't just bring a part of you bring your whole self in jesus name we pray let's look at this from god's perspective several truths of atonement are given over here several truths of atonement are given over here if you can see that god had as i as i told earlier it was not that god plugged in the the crucifixion as a quick fix to the predicament of man it was not a quick fix solution right from the foundations of the world the lamb was slain so what do we see over here for those who already know the the comparison between genesis 22 and the cross i invite you to look at it again in a fresh perspective for those who do not know who are listening this for the first time that there is a connection between genesis 22 the provision of god of the lamb and the provision of god of his own son could i invite you to look at it with me once more the father and the son acted together let's read genesis 22 verse 6 and verse 8 genesis 22 verse 6 and verse 8 so abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on isaac his son and he took the fire in his hand and a knife and the two of them went together do you see that picture can you can you get that picture in your mind the father and the son going up together the offerer and the victim going up together I want you to see that picture and there was fire and there was knife the fire in the bible it it represents god's holiness that comes through the through the burning away of the chaff the fire that brings in the holiness of god and there is the knife which represents judgment of course god has to judge but see the picture of the father and son go up 
verse 8. And the two of them went together. You see submission over there? Do you see love over there? Do you see fellowship over there? And in heaven, the father and son were already in fellowship. You know why the Bible says God is love? Because he did not need man to know love. They were already in love in the Holy Trinity. There was perfect love between the Father, Son and the Holy Ghost. Many of us say that God created man to have fellowship with him. Well, that would be an, a partial answer. The primary reason why God created man is to reflect his image. To have fellowship, God need not have created man because they were already in fellowship. That's the beauty of our Christian faith. Because our God was never lonely in heaven. It was because he was lonely in heaven, he made a few of us. And then he saved us and he took us to heaven. Or he's taking us to heaven. Untrue. That's wrong theology. God was complete in himself in the Holy Trinity. Do you see this fellowship? As they go up the mount, the father and the son talking to one another. The son asking, Father, I see, the, I see the knife, I see the fire, but where is the lamb? And the father says reassuringly, the Lord will provide the lamb. The father and the son loved each other. Matthew 3.17 At the time of baptism of the Lord Jesus, the heavens opened and a voice came down from heaven and said, This is my beloved son, whom I love. John 14 verse 31. Let's read John 14 verse 31 to get a perspective of Jesus echoing back God's love back unto him. John 14 and verse 31. But that the world may know that I love the Father. That the world may know that I love the Father. The Son bore the burden of sin. I don't want to make a theology of this either. But the wood that was placed on Isaac was not actually the cross that Jesus carried. Because if you read the narration, Jesus did not carry the cross throughout. There was Simon the Cyrene who carried the cross for a while. But if you see, the wood was transferred onto the shoulder of Isaac at the foot of Mount Moriah. And from then on, Isaac bore the wood. What I would say is that the wood represents the sin of you and I. It was on this, on this wood that Isaac was to be burned. And it was on this sin that Jesus was judged. The wood was representative of Jesus bearing our sin. And the fourth similarity we find was that the son was raised from the dead. Isaac was already dead in the mind of Abraham. Because that's why he rose early. And he made haste. 
and he cut the wood himself. He laid it on the ass, and they moved, and they went to Mount Moriah. Now, incidentally, if you've seen, in faith, you must first get to the region of faith before you see the place of sacrifice. I don't know if you've noticed that in the portion that we read. Because God said, go to the place that I will show you. He's always been like that with Abraham, right? Abraham would have said, I've heard this before. When I was in the Ur of the Chaldees, you said the same thing, that go to a place, I will show you. Now again, the voice comes and says, go to the place, and then I will show you the mount. And when they got to Mount, when they got to the region of Mount Moriah, they saw that this was the mountain. There's only another place in the Bible where Mount Moriah is mentioned, which is Second Chronicles 3 and verse 1, which is the site of the temple of Jerusalem. So on the same mount where Isaac was almost offered, God planned that a temple would be built and thousands and thousands of lambs would be offered. And it was on the vicinity of Mount Moriah that there is another mount called Calvary. On which another son on another day carried a wood on his back. And this time, no voice came from heaven. This time, the son must have asked, where's the, where's the lamb? The father must have said, you are the lamb that takes away the sins of man. I don't want you to miss that picture here. Where is the lamb has been echoed throughout the ages. Everyone was asking that question, where is the lamb? A thinking Jew would have asked this question. Because they knew that the blood of bulls and goats does not carry away the sin of man. All it needs is 15 minutes of deep thought on this. That how can the blood of a dumb animal take away my own sin which I have committed. All you need to do is think about this. Then you would understand that there should be something more than the blood of bulls and goats. Jesus came to John to be baptized. And at the time of baptism, a voice came from heaven and said, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And later on, there were two disciples who were with John. And John pointed at Jesus and said, The Lamb of God. And the Jew immediately would have understood. The Jew would have understood. You mean this is the Lamb of God? You mean the Lamb that God Himself is providing? And then John repeated that and he said, The Lamb that takes away the sin of man. What did God know at the beginning of this test that Abraham did not know? Was there something that God knew at the beginning of this test that Abraham did not know? Yes or no? Either you bob your head up and down 
or it goes sideways. So let me see. Did, did God know something more than Abraham? When God formed you, did he know something more than you? When God gave up his son on the cross, did he still know something more than you? Let's not ignore the provision God has made. The religions of this world is work ethics. There's a, there's a scripture, there's a verse in the passage that we read which says that because you have not withheld your son, I know that you obey. Now, let's not misunderstand that scripture. It never promotes, it never promotes salvation by works. It never once mentioned that Abraham was, was justified because of his actions. Abraham was already justified because he believed. But you see, what Abraham did not know, Abraham felt. I don't want you to miss this point. What Abraham did not know, he felt. He felt a need for a savior. Why do people reject the gospel? They have not felt the need for a savior. That's the reason why evangelism fails. Abraham did not know that God would provide, but he had a need that God should provide. It is only they who have felt a need, they would accept Jesus. Otherwise, Jesus would be a joyful addition to their present life. He would be like one of the items on your buffet. Let me just taste Jesus. That's it. But if Jesus is the only main course, He is the first course, He is the main course, and He is the desert then your approach and mine would be different. Then the approach of everyone who feels a need will be different. God created man in his image so that we would reflect God's image. There's only one reason why God created man. And every other reason is an added blessing. But if you ask for one reason, why did God create man? It's given in Genesis chapter 1. It says that, and let us make man in our image, and let us make him in our likeness. There was no other creation that was made in the likeness of God. There was nothing else that could reflect him. So God said, let me make man. In my own image. Now he will begin to reflect me. Now that reflection went off. And he needed to provide a lamb. In conclusion I want to tell you a story. Of a missionary. Called David Morse. This missionary was in India. 
and there was he was ministering to a man called Ram Bahu Ram Bahu believed in works ethics Ram Bahu believed like many of us who come from India that you need to work to earn your salvation he was an old man david morris kept telling him that jesus has paid the price the lamb has been provided you don't need to please god god is already well pleased with jesus and because of jesus you can be saved but this man would not have any of it ramba who was a deep sea pearl diver he used to go down into the sea and get pearls david morris repeatedly invited him to accept jesus but then he said no he was growing old he said now i need to go on my hands and knees as a penance i am going to go from my place unto delhi where there is a temple and that would be a sin offering that would be a penance that i would do for my own salvation david moss was broken in his heart he did not know how to respond to this he asked the lord lord give me an opportunity to tell him that he need not afflict his body salvation has already been paid for and then this man would have none of it the day came when he was leaving and ramba who loved david morse called the brethren inside and said david morse i want to give you a gift and he went inside his house and brought a big box and in that box he said that this is the this is the treasure that i want to give you you know i used to have a son and my son was also a deep sea diver he was deep sea diver uh, trying to get out pearls and one day he his ambition was to get the most beautiful pearl so one day he went down into the sea and he found this beautiful pearl but then he had stayed too long his lungs was filled with water and he came up dead but in his heart but in his hand there was this big pearl so he opened the opened the box and showed a beautiful and enormous pearl and he said i want to give this to you david morris since i won't be needing it anymore i'm going on my hand and foot to delhi and i will be there in that temple till my god with a small g takes me away so david morris immediately said let me pay for this let me pay 10000 dollars for this he said no you should not mock me this is my son's life this is my son's precious treasure i want to give it to you david morris said no let me pay you 15000 dollars for this he said what will i do with this money it's useless for me he said david morris said no i'll give you 20000 the man said you are insulting me now this is the price of my son david morris with moist eyes said now you see how precious your son is to you do you see how precious jesus was to his father he gave his son for you rambahu are you ready to accept the price that his son paid for your for your sake so that you are willing to give this gift unto me do you see the correlation rambahu wept on david morris's shoulders and he gave and he gave his life to jesus would you bow with me in prayer as we go to god as we see the great sacrifice that jesus has made for us as we see the lamb that was already provided he has been provided brethren if there is any one of us who has not seen the lamb as has been provided for us would you talk to god right now would you please talk to god right now you might not have another opportunity to accept god's provision into your own life 
even as rambahu was exiting this was a god given opportunity for him to hear the gospel once more you have heard the gospel today brethren any one of you any one of you if you have if you know that there is a need in your life would you talk to god settle it with him right now Let's just rise up as we close. We've seen the gifts of God and salvation. We've seen the surrender of Abraham. Is there something we are withholding from God? Is it an idol or a care or a problem? God wants us to just surrender all. unto him today i surrender all i surrender all to thee my blessed savior i time I surrender all I surrender all all to thee my blessed Savior I surrender Father, indeed, you made the first surrender. You surrendered your son. You surrendered your all. That we too, in turn, will surrender our all unto you. Lord, we declare before you this afternoon that every idol or problem or care in our lives, we surrender to you. We release ourselves. from their bondages and we lay it at your feet we ask that you will receive it and deliver us from their powers and their bondages that as we leave this place this afternoon lord we will be without a care without an idol and you alone will be our idol you alone will be our god lord for therein is perfect liberty lord we pray Let this complete surrender and complete deliverance be the portion of every one of us this afternoon in Jesus name. Lord, how we pray for your servant that you have used to bring this beautiful lesson unto us that Lord you will beautify his life. Spiritually you will beautify him. You will lift him to a higher ground that he will glorify your name. Blessed be your holy name. we worship you and give you praise in jesus name we pray let's share the grace may the grace of our lord jesus christ the love of god the fellowship of the holy spirit 
be with us now and forevermore. Amen. Surely, goodness and mercy shall follow us all the days of our lives. And we shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Go in the liberty of the Lord.